Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. What a blessing it is to be back here today. Somebody asked me if I was the guest speaker today, and I feel like it, you know? I was harassing uh, Larry and Patty because I'm now back and they're leaving for a month. So I know I know how I rate with them. He said, hey, we're here today. So it's great to have Becky be able to be back with us. And uh, she hasn't been able to be around and she's doing a little better. I've talked to some other people who are doing better. We have some folks back visiting with us and and we had a, a, a wardrobe um, delight earlier before the service. If you heard all the joy, you can ask Natasha about that later. Uh, But what a blessing it is to gather with the people of God in the house of God on the Lord's day. Uh, I really missed it when I was out. I am so blessed to be able to be back. And and, uh, People have asked me, are you able to eat? Yes. And Kathy's fixed stir fry and several other things that I haven't been able to eat for months and months and months. And and within 30 minutes of the doctor releasing me, I was in and out eating a burger and fries and with grilled onion on it. So, you know, it's such a blessing to feel a little better. We had some friends over that haven't been able to do that for a while, and that was fun. Um, we watched a very goofy movie, but it was still fun to hang out with some friends, and it's great to be here with some friends today. Now, according to Inc.com, adults make more than 35,000 decisions a day. Some of them are itty-bitty little ones. Some of them are big ones. Some are almost insignificant, like those of you who choose between crunchy and creamy peanut butter. There is no choice. It's crunchy all the way, right? Okay. Uh, but some, some of the decisions are fun. You're in a restaurant. You're looking at the menu. What do I want off this menu? Especially if it's a restaurant when you can eat everything there, you want a sampler that's like two bites of everything. But uh, some of the decisions don't seem very important. And yet those seemingly insignificant decisions make a radical difference in your life. I was listening to an audio book and the speaker was saying, or the writer, he said he was studying instead of going to a party when he was in college. He was a new believer trying to grow in the Lord and he was trying to get serious about school now. And so instead of going to the party with all of his friends, he was in the library studying and he met a girl there. And then later on, that girl thought he was a little bit of a nut, but later on she came up to him and she said, listen, I have a friend who's a Jesus nut like you and you should meet. And they did and now they're married and have six kids. And he said, a little decision, I'm going to study versus I'm going to go to the party. And yet what a change it eventually made in his life. King David made a small decision. I'm not going to go to battle. Now, don't you think if he could have looked down the road 25 years that he would have made a radically different decision? See, we don't know. We have no idea which decisions will alter the course of our lives. 
but God knows. And, and God will guide your decisions if you will trust and follow Jesus Christ. Today we're in Colossians chapter 3 and we're looking at faith in Christ. Having faith in Christ. And we're going to look at several aspects of our faith in Christ. And we've been uh, working through the, the um, book of Colossians. We've taken a month off because I was out and we had guest speakers in for a month, and, and they were a blessing. I enjoyed being able to watch those services online when I couldn't physically be here, being able to be here last week for the last of our guest speakers. And now we're going to jump right back into Colossians. It ended up, didn't plan it that way, it just worked out that way. We finished through chapter 2 before my surgery, and now we're jumping into chapter 3. So, just pause a moment, reflect on all those wonderful messages you heard two and three months ago, remember what they included, and then we'll get ready to jump in chapter three. Good luck with that, huh? <laughs> Johnny, you get a break, because he wasn't around then, okay? But All right, uh, chapter three of Colossians. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, your affection, your thoughts on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Look at verse 7. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Okay, that's the past. That's what you used to do. Now you're supposed to do something different. Verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're looking at faith in Christ. Now, all of the words that uh, you got to fill in on the, they all begin with the letter S. It just happened that way because that's what showed up in the text. And I was trying to do without my water bottle. I was seeing how well it would work. Not very well, apparently. So, okay. Uh, in verse number one, he says, you've been raised in, with Christ. So number one uh, is your statement of faith. Your statement of faith. That's when you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You could call it your testimony or your statement of faith. And I can go back to August the 10th, 1976. I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was a teenager at youth camp. And that began the process of Christ redirecting the values and plans of my life. And what a change he's made in my life. 
And so you have been raised with Christ. You see, the Bible says before you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Some of you don't remember the exact day. I do because I wrote it in my Bible. And then I could look back years later and be reminded of the day. Um, some of you don't remember. You just remember, oh, I was around 12 or I was around 42. You, you don't remember the exact date. And that's okay. You're not saved by remembering the date. You're saved by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so you have to go back to that day when you asked him to forgive your sins. You go back to that time period when you knew that you were a sinner. You asked him to forgive your sins. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that, that's where he says you were raised with Christ because before you trust Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, you're dead in trespasses and sins. So those cute little kids in the nursery, they need to trust Christ. Those good kids who obey their parents almost all the time, they need to trust Christ. Those other kids, they really need to trust Christ. Okay, But everybody needs to trust Christ the same way. In fact, take your Bibles and turn a couple of books toward the front, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So uh, you go through Philippians into Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul describes in, in Ephesians chapter 2, he describes what it was like uh, before you got saved and after you trusted Christ. And we're not going to read the whole description of life before Christ, but I want you to see why he's saying you have been raised. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Jump down to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, earlier today, uh, Kathy was over here playing the piano. And uh, so this piano, this seat, this bench is reserved. The only people who can be up here playing this instrument are the ones who deserve to play this instrument. They've practiced, they've rehearsed, they've um, perform uh, lower levels and they're getting better. And, and we have several different people who do it. In fact, some of our services in the evening, especially we have three different people who do it because they're getting used to it. And it's a challenge to play when people are singing. It's way different than just playing the piano. Uh, but the, you can't just walk up in here. You don't walk in the door and say, hey, I feel like playing the piano today. And then Somebody says, great, Mike, come on up, play the piano. What would you do, Mike, if you were at the piano? <laughs> he'd go out the door. I figured he'd just bang, you know. Uh, okay, this spot up here that where you're standing to lead the singing, that's reserved. There's only a couple of guys in the church or several guys in the church that we have stand up here to be able to lead the singing. And then to preach or teach from this spot. It's a reserved spot. Did you know you have a reserved spot in heaven? And so when I came here today, 
It was already planned. It was already in the schedule. In fact, Megan told me, pastor's preaching right then. So I knew when I should get up and do it. And uh, we, it's all planned out. There's a structure. There's an order. We sometimes change the order, but we start out with a plan. And so when, when you're up here, it's because you belong up here. And you have been raised in the heavens. God has figuratively already made a home for you. In John 14, Jesus said he's building a place for you to live in his house. So God has already raised you up from that moment when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Some of you did that when you were younger than six or seven years old. Some of you did that when you were 60 or 70 years old. But it doesn't matter. We come to Christ from that moment. God has already raised us up. There's already a plan for us to live with him forever. He's already put us in that place. And so we're no longer, as as the message last week We're no longer just citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. We belong there. And so back to Colossians chapter 3. We are now living in Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we're alive in Christ. We were hopeless. Now we have hope in Christ. So this is our statement of faith. And baptism is a picture of that death to life. Uh, where you go under the water, that's like Christ dying for you. You come up out of the water, it's like Christ uh, raising from the dead. But it's also, Romans 6, 4 said, it's like you dying to the old way of life and being raised to walk in newness of life. You're now going to follow the Lord. It's a testimony of that. So verse 1 says, you have been raised in Christ. That's part of your testimony, your statement of faith. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now we have two ways of getting into the presence of Christ. One way is we die. How many of you want to go that way? I didn't think so. There's another way. The Lord calls us home and we all go up together in what's called the rapture and we go to be with him, meet him in the clouds. How many of you prefer to go that way? Yeah, uh, I definitely prefer to go that way. I had a friend say, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. Unfortunately, he met the undertaker about 10 years ago, but he's with the Lord and you're going to be with the Lord. And if we're in the group that gets raptured, that gets caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds, 1 Thessalonians says, it's going to be instantaneous. You're going to be walking here on earth and you're going to hear him call and you're going to be with him. Just boom. You're not even going to float up. You're not going to go like Jesus did in Acts chapter 1 and just rise up into the clouds. It's just instantaneous in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just you're here, you're there. And you're with him. And then it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's already put us in that place where we deserve to and we belong with him and we're going to be with him forever. So some people who don't trust Christ, who don't believe in Christ, they call this a pie in the sky by and by, that you're going to just end up there some way. Uh, But the truth is that we have an assurance of faith. And our assurance of faith is based on some things. So think in your head, think in your heart, what is our assurance of faith based on? 
And think about just these three things that I suggest here. One, it's based on what God said. We trust his word. It's based on what God has been doing since the beginning of the world, since the beginning of creation. And it's based on what God promises that he will do, that he will prepare or is preparing a place for us, that he will call us home to be with him, that we will be with him forever. So he has planned out, he's put that in, and we have this assurance of faith, not because we hope, we hope, we hope, but because we know it's going to happen. Because God, who the Bible says, who cannot lie, has promised it. So it's guaranteed. It's going to happen. Your statement of faith. Second thing is your steps of faith. Your steps of faith. Uh, James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. You don't earn salvation, but once you have trusted Christ, your life should change. If you say that you're following Christ and your life hasn't changed, James said, that's not really the kind of faith that saves you. The kind of faith that saves you is when you put your trust in Christ and then you try and follow him. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we're going to try. And we're going to get better at it with practice over time. Your steps of faith. True faith will change your heart. It will change your mind. It will change your actions. It will transform your heart. So he says in verse 1, if then, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So here's a step of faith. You need to seek. You need to seek those things that are above. Now, seeking involves searching. If after church today, you get out to your car and you're a guy, you reach in your pocket, you're a lady, you reach in your purse, your keys aren't there. You look in the car window and you see the keys aren't there. So what would you do? Sit down in the parking lot and cry. Now, you'd come in here and you'd look. When would you give up looking? When you found them. You wouldn't stop till you found them. You might ask some of the young boys if they were playing around with them and put them in their pockets by mistake. But, but you would seek them out. You'd look for them. And he's saying, seek those things that are above. It's a direction, it's an intention, it's a desire, it's effort. You are seeking, you're putting the effort in. Now, some years ago, I went deer hunting with my brother-in-law, Tim Schaefer. He actually is not only my brother-in-law, he's the son of the pastor who served here before I came, and his dad's now with the Lord. Uh, But Tim and I went hunting together, and Uh, he never asked me to go again. He said, I'm too loud. Uh, Apparently the deer could hear me coming. But but we were out hunting and Tim and I are walking along and we're out in this area and there's some juniper trees. There's some other trees. We're down near Rio Rico, just east of Rio Rico, north of Mexican border, up in the hills there. And we're just walking along and we're looking. We're moving and we're looking and I don't see anything. 
And all of a sudden, Tim whips his rifle up, bang! And I see this thing go down. And he got a deer and provided food for his family for quite a few meals out of that one deer. And how did he see it? And I didn't. I mean, I didn't have a clue. I could see there was a bush there. Why is he going to try and kill a bush? Well, because on the other side of the bush, there was a deer. Here's how he saw it. He was looking for something other. There's the landscape out there. There's trees. There's bushes. There's cactus. There's rocks. There's dirt. He was looking for something other. He was looking for a curve that was smoother than would naturally appear in nature. And, and so it would be the backside of the deer. He was looking for antlers that would, would be different than the bushes, different than the trees. He was looking for parts of a deer. He was looking for something other than the landscape that I was distracted by. And see, God wants you to look for something other. Something other than just life on earth. We get obsessed about life on earth. To be honest with you, for about uh, <laughs> three weeks, I was obsessed with, when can I eat food again? Every time I drank a smoothie, and I haven't had one since, Every time I drank a smoothie, I thought, when can I chew food? I mean, we had some great food in the fridge and the cupboard and restaurants all over town, and I couldn't have any of it. But instead of being obsessed with the things of life on earth, God wants us to look for something other, other than life on earth. He wants us to look for things that don't fit this world, things that fit the glories of heaven. And if you're a wild success on planet earth, but have not prepared for heaven, then you have failed most miserably. So, got a question for you. Is your seeker tuned or turned in the right direction? Are you seeking the things of heaven? Or are you too much seeking things on earth? Then he adds to this. He says, seek things that have eternal value, as Paul then tells us how to do it. So in verse number two, this is the second word, set. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on these things. To set is to focus your attention. All right, everybody look up here right now. Everybody look up here. All right, now, I want everybody to turn and look at Tim Pennick in the sound booth. Boy, isn't he a good-looking guy? Look at that. See Tim Pennick in the sound booth there? Now, everybody look back up here. See, you know what you've just done? You've set your attention. First on me, then on Tim, then back on me. You're already good at this. You can do this. And now God says, set your attention on things above. Things in heaven. Focus on the end of your life. Now, he is not a believer consistent with what we believe the Bible teaches, but Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. And think about 
what heaven's going to be like. You're going to live with the Lord and set your attention on those things and then bring it back into your life today and see how it can change. See, you already know how to focus your attention. How many of you ever saw the movie Up? You see the movie Up? Yeah, after we watched that movie Up, every time Kathy wanted to get Benjamin and my attention at the same time, what do you think she would say? Squirrel. And every time we looked, <laughs> I was so annoyed that I didn't want to look, but she'd say squirrel and I'd look. <laughs> so now he's saying, shift your things to heaven. Shift your attention. Shift your thoughts. Philippians chapter 3 warns believers against setting their mind on earthly things. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul shared his grief that Demas, who used to serve with him and help him and was his partner in ministry, Demas loved this present world and turned his attention away from the eternal things. Now, Kathy and I spent two years in charge of a boys' dormitory in a Bible college in Texas, and one of our boys, one of our dorm boys, uh, that we really liked. His parents were faithful missionaries serving the Lord, and and we really liked this guy, and he seemed to love the Lord, and he married a young lady from our Bible college, and they were going to serve the Lord together, and they had a couple of kids, and he had a, an amazing job opportunity to earn lots and lots and lots of money. And he walked away from serving the Lord, and he walked away from his wife, and he walked away from his kids, and he chased after money. Now, I'm guessing that he lives in a house that's much nicer than mine. But I'm also knowing, unless he's had a change of heart since then, he is in no way preparing to stand before God, which we know we will all do someday. He's not laying up treasures in heaven. He set his affection, his thoughts, his mind on things on this earth. And that will never satisfy the heart. In the economy of heaven, riches are found not in your bank account or your holdings or your retirement savings. I want you to think about this. In the economy of heaven, riches are found in these things. Your closeness to Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 9 said, God's working all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose so they can become more like Christ. He's working that in your life. To become like Christ is a heavenly value, your closeness to Christ. Secondly, your faithful involvement and investment in the church, which is the body of Christ. This is a heavenly value. Those of us who are here today, those who are tuning in online because you can't physically be here, then this is a heavenly value because we're joining with the people of God. Thirdly, your connection to God's Word. Now, to be honest with you, there is not substantial value in just memorizing the Bible. In, in Jesus' day, when Jesus was walking on the earth, there were people who had memorized a large part of the Bible. They'd memorized all of this plus all the rabbinical teachings about all of that. 
and yet they didn't trust God. They weren't looking for Christ. They had a lot of head knowledge of verses, but they hadn't let it affect their heart. But your connection to God's word is not just, are you memorizing it? Are you learning it? You know, if God had a test and you walked in today and I said, surprise, quiz day, you'd be thrilled, right? All of you love school, don't you? And you love those pop quiz days. But if I said, it's quiz day and we're going to give a quiz and you could whip through your Bible knowledge and you got an A plus, 100% on the test, that would mean less than if you lived what you did learn, than if you let it into your life so that God's word informs your values, so that God's word affects your life on a daily basis, that your connection to God's word is a heavenly value. Uh, Fourth, your closeness to people who walk with God. See, we should be friendly with everybody. We should strive to be friendly. I have friends here in town whose values are absolutely not at all aligned with Scripture. But we're friendly, and I try and be a witness to them for Christ. But your closest friends, the people you go to for advice and counsel and encouragement, they should be people who are following the Lord. They should be people who share God's values in your life. Uh, Another, your sacrifices on earth for eternal reward. Uh, There are people who have given millions of dollars to the work of the Lord. But remember in Jesus' day, when Jesus was sitting watching what people gave, we have a box in there and you can put money in there and I encourage you to do that. God will bless you if you uh, trust him with your finances. Uh, But nobody's going to stand there and watch you The trustees who look over the plant and property of the church, they're not going to say, oh, wait, hand me your check. Well, that's good enough. I'll put it in the box. Hand me your check. Uh, You need to make another one. They're not going to do that. But here's the deal. Jesus watched what people put in. And wealthy people put in and poor people put in. But in Jesus' own words, who gave the most? A widow who gave two mites. She gave the most because it was all she had. She gave sacrificially. How are you sacrificing for heavenly values? Financially or your energy or your heart or your time? Your sacrifices on earth for heavenly reward is one of the heavenly values. Another is Your fruit from both spiritual growth, the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and also from evangelistic outreach. Can you look at people who have been encouraged to follow Christ because you've befriended them, talked to them, witnessed to them, helped them, and now they've trusted Christ? If you can't think of people like that, then work on it. That's a heavenly value. So we need to focus our attention on those things, those things that have heavenly value and spend less time over obsessing over things that don't matter in heaven. Like how much money you have on earth or which team wins the game or whether you can actually chew your delicious food or have to drink a smoothie. 
Focus on heavenly things. Set your mind. Set your thoughts. Set your attention. Set your affection. So how do you need to redirect your attention? Looking back over the last week, this month, we're almost halfway through the month, right? Getting close. Uh, Noon on Tuesday, we'll be halfway through the month. And so how much of your attention has been focused on things on earth? Do you need to adjust your attention? Then in verse 5, he says we need to separate, separate from earthly passions, even things that you used to enjoy. Look at verse 5. He says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Some of you were nice people before you got saved, and some of you got saved young enough, you didn't make much of a mess of your life. But Some of us made a pretty good mess. Even though I got saved as a teenager, I'd made a pretty good mess of my life by that point. And there was a lot of baggage that I had to get over in my life. And there were things that I used to do that I had to stop doing because God didn't want to see those things in anybody's life, but especially not in his kids. Have you ever been to the mall and you've watched some kids really misbehaving? Now, Sometimes you find it annoying, right? Especially if they're loud and misbehaving. But you know what really bugs you if you're at the mall and you see kids misbehaving and they have your last name? Now that really bothers you, doesn't it? That's how God is when his kids do that. He wants us to follow him. So we need to separate from those earthly passions And now, as he described, it includes sexual behavior that's not between a husband and a wife, but it also includes gambling and greed and covetousness. Did you really think, I mean, have you really thought about it? American economic system is based on greed and covetousness. All of the ads, you need this stuff. If you don't have this stuff, You're not ready. You need more of this stuff. And, you know, they argue against each other. Our stuff's better than their stuff. Well, God says it's all just stuff that goes away. Focus your attention on heavenly things. Those of you who play video games, I can't because of an eye thing. Video games actually make me nauseated. And so I can't play video games. But some of you do. Do your video games encourage you? To destroy other things or to build up other things? Which do you think God would want you to focus on? Destruction or building up? I think there's a pretty clear answer in Scripture. Do the movies, books, podcasts that you watch or read or listen to, do they encourage good values? Now, I listen to some podcasts by people who aren't Christians, and I read some books by people who aren't Christians, but they encourage good values. And so, is it something that's going to distract you from the Lord and encourage you in the things of this world? Or is it going to help you focus on good things? 
Do you obsess over Pinterest? I mean, I see John on it all the time. John's always posting stuff on Pinterest. Have you seen this bag I can weave? No. But some people... Re- <laughs> Sorry, John. I just totally distracted Anna. Her mind is blown trying to picture that one. <laughs> but, but listen, some people really obsess over it. Some people are on Facebook all the time. Where is your attention? Uh, Do you long for the things of earth or for the things of heaven? Uh, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love God. Focus on things. Separate from those other things. And then uh, just ask yourself right now, How might you need to change? I mentioned the video games. Maybe some of you need to stop doing some of the games you're doing. Start looking for a different game that doesn't focus your attention on death and destruction and dismemberment, but focuses on something that might be positive. Some of you love to read. Well, what are you reading? You know, I have been astounded how many so-called Christian books don't say, anything about trusting and following Jesus Christ. If it says something spiritual, then they call it a Christian book. And it's not. So how do you need to change? And then the next S is being self-restraint or having self-restraint. Having self-restraint. Look at verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Now, I think he means the things which he mentioned before and the things which he mentions after, which include anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, lying. You need to put off those things. Uh, Separate yourself from those things. Have self-restraint. So uh, here's how I would work with this short list that he has here. One is be kind. No anger, wrath, or malice. Now, the Bible doesn't present anger as a sin. In fact, it specifically says, be angry, but don't sin. If anger's a sin, then Jesus Christ sinned because there were times when he got angry and drove the money changers out of the temple. No, anger is not a sin, but what angers you? Do the things that anger God anger you? Things like child abuse, that should make you angry. But sometimes we get angry because we didn't get our way. And that is not like God, that's like a toddler. So put off that kind of anger, that earthly kind of anger. Be kind. Secondly, be gracious. No blasphemy, no filthy language. Uh, Anna Mollett was talking to me about a pastor she knew, but we both knew him, but she knew him better than I did. And one of the things she shared is he liked to use bad language to shock people. I thought, what? And that was a habit of his life. He never did that talking to me, but she overheard it and other people heard it. Well, He ended up making some seriously bad choices in his life. Be gracious. Watch what you say. 
In fact, the Bible specifically says what you say should encourage and build up people, not tear them down. And then the third thing, be transparently honest. Don't, don't lie, he says here. Don't lie, don't deceive. Be transparently honest. We, we can fake sometimes, but we need to be genuine. Now, is there something else Paul could have mentioned that you might need to work on in self-restraint? There might be. Think about it. Write it down. Send yourself a text message for later. Remember it. All right, and then in verse 10, you need to shift gears. You need to shift gears. Verse 10, he says, And have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. This is changing direction, turning from the things of earth and toward the things of heaven. This is changing your attitude and your values. Put off the old man, put on the new man, changing gears. How many of you have ever been out four-wheeling or riding a motorcycle up a steep hill or, uh, or even a bicycle up a steep hill? What you have to do is you downshift. You shift gears. And what you want to do when you're especially on a motorcycle or a quad or, and you're going up something steep that's a little rocky and dirt, you, what you want to do is you want to have enough traction in the drive gears that it's really gripping. So you slow it down. The old Dodge Power Wagons had a gear they called granny gear. Then you had first, second, and third, uh, but granny gear. And that granny gear could not go over 15 miles an hour. But if you were hauling something heavy, and needed to get started, you put it in granny gear. Or if you were trying to drive up something deep, you put it in granny gear. And I don't know why they called it granny gear, but that's what they called it. But on a motorcycle, you downshift. You get down, and then you make sure that tire has good traction, and then you start up that hill. You don't just come flying across and hope you bounce up to the top. No, you attack it the way you're supposed to. Downshift, you get traction. Some of us, we need to shift gears in our life. We need to put off that old stuff. We need to put on the new stuff. Because if you don't shift gears spiritually, then you will be, you will not be tracking on the things that matter the most. If you're not shifting gears spiritually, you'll be focused on the things of earth. So what do you need to shift in your heart or in your life or in your values or in your attitude? And then number three is your source of faith. Your source of faith. Now, uh, verse 11, he says, Christ is all and in all. And now, if you're using the note sheet and the bulletin, some of you are already starting to mentally check out because you just filled in the last blank. Okay, don't check out. Stay with us. Listen, 28 years ago, I was trying to help a young mom. She was going through a, a difficulty. Uh, she had had a struggle with uh, drugs, and she was in the process of possibly losing her children. And so she came to me in desperation. She wanted to try and keep her kids. And she kept saying, I just got to have faith. I got to have faith. I got to have faith. And I talked to her about what it meant to put faith in Jesus Christ. On the picture on the screen, you see this girl, she's holding up something, and it's only Jesus. The source of your faith is Jesus Christ. And, and so th this lady, she tried to have faith and faith and faith. Well, 
because of her repeated problems with her drugs, she ended up losing her kids. Three kids went into the foster system. If she had handled it better, they could have gone to her mom, who was willing to take them and could have provided for them. But this girl just... Drugs had made it impossible for her to think clearly. But she kept, she had to have faith. And then after she lost her kids, she's crying and crying and saying, I didn't have enough faith. I just didn't have enough faith. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need to whip yourself up in a frenzy of faith. It says you need to trust Jesus Christ. There's a difference. And so she was so obsessed with it. Faith is worthless unless the object of your faith is trustworthy. If you have faith, that bridge is going to hold you. You get halfway across and then you learn it's not. It's a little late. You need to have faith in something that's going to prevail. Uh, That lady had faith in faith. Faith in faith doesn't work. Faith in Jesus Christ is what matters. Some kids put faith in their parents. Whatever their parents say or do, that's what they try and follow. Some adults put faith in their spouse or in their job or in their church or in their pastor. But only faith in Jesus Christ can save your soul. Anchor your life. Prepare you for heaven. Only faith in Jesus Christ can do those things. So we are fully and completely and eternally united in Christ. And he wants to get this point home to us. He said, there's neither Greek nor Jew. Um, The Greeks were those who followed the Greek and Roman philosophy, Greek philosophy in the Roman culture. And and the Jews were those who followed the Jewish historical path. He's saying, listen, within the church, doesn't matter whether you're Greek or Jew, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, circumcision was a sign for Jewish men to identify with God. They it became just a ritual, a kind of meaningless ritual. It's the circumcision of the heart that really mattered. But he said, whether you're barbarian. Now, if the Greeks called anybody who was non-Greek, they were barbarians. And Or Scythian, those were the wild and savage nomads. And before I came to Christ, that would have described me. And then Christ changed my life, praise the Lord. Whether you're slave or free. See, it doesn't, we come to Christ and we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter if you were born in a different country or in a different ethnic group or in a different tribal group, or it doesn't matter. Anybody who is born on this planet who has trusted Christ is part of the body of Christ. And we can connect with one another. Have you ever known somebody in church who was biased or prejudiced against other people? Don't let that person ever be you. God is not prejudiced, and we cannot be if we're going to try and follow God. Jesus Christ is all and in all, and we come to salvation exactly the same way. When I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was on my knees at the front of the chapel at camp. You can trust Christ laying on your back. You can trust Christ sitting in a chair. You can trust Christ out hiking. You can trust Christ alone in your bedroom. 
but we come to Christ the same way. We acknowledge our sin, we ask him to forgive us and be our savior. We are then equally valued within the church family. We are gifted and equipped to serve together. We have differing skills and abilities and we serve together. We are united in Christ. We are one body, his body, his people, his church. And so we have faith in Christ, not just for salvation, but we have faith in Christ for Monday and Tuesday, just as much as for Sunday. We trust and follow him. That's the only way to have a life that's satisfying here on earth and that's preparing us for heaven. Only trusting and following Christ does both. So if you take any other path, you're going to hurt yourself here and you're going to hurt yourself there. Set or seek, set, separate, self-restraint, shift. Those are simple words, but it's a daily challenge that requires an ongoing partnership with the Holy Spirit of God. So how will you follow Christ today? How will Jesus make a difference in your life today? How will you set your attention, your affection, and seek out the things of heaven in your life here on earth? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're willing to forgive our sins. We thank you that you give us a hope and a home in heaven when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we thank you that you teach us in your word and through your Holy Spirit, you teach us how to live in a way that prepares us for that glorious day when we live with you. I pray that you would help those here today who have never trusted Christ to not leave this place before they talk to somebody and ask them to show them from your word how to be saved. I pray for believers who need to make decisions who need to make changes, who need to redirect their values, their attention, their thoughts to more spiritual things. I pray that you would convict them of sin and guide them in the path. And I thank you that no matter where we are, all it needs to trust and follow you is a decision right now. And we can change the path and pattern of our life and follow you with our whole heart. We pray that you would be honored and glorified by the decisions that we make this day and the decisions that we follow through on this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page, or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.